Hello, and welcome to the High Street Community Church Podcast. We're so excited you're learning alongside us, and we pray this message leads you closer to the Lord and others. High Street Community Church is simply a family of friends following Jesus. God bless you as you listen. Eight, tree, one. Eight, tree, one. Eight sermons, messages on trees about the one God. And um, I've christened you all to be botanical theologians cultivating Jesus followers. Botanical theologians cultivating Jesus followers. So listen for you, and then also listen for others. That's the point of a tree. They don't just grow in and of themselves. They produce fruit so that they can reproduce and they can bless other Um, the rest of everyone else and everything else. I came across a quote this week um, on social media by a guy named Dr. Ernest Walton. And if you could put that slide up. He's an Irish physicist. He won the Nobel Prize for splitting the atom. Probably worth listening to, right? Smart guy. He says, one way to learn the mind of the creator is to study his creation. We must pay God the compliment of studying his work of art, and this should apply to all realms of human thought. A refusal to use our intelligence honestly is an act of contempt for him who gave us that intelligence. Ah! I, I, you know this, but my father was a scientist, so I grew up loving science and loving God. He's a Christian scientist, taught at a college. And so a quote like that is kind of like, yes, God says, use your mind. Don't be afraid of science. It reveals God and who his character is. And that's part of the heartbeat behind 831 is we're looking at creation and we're saying, what can we learn from that? It's God's, um, he calls it, or theologians call it general revelation. And then we have special revelation in his word. And we get to, in a message, get to combine those two um, and see what we have. So we'll study his word and then we'll pause and consider his art. That's what we're doing with 831. Ready to do that? Okay, so our tree this um, week is the cedar of Lebanon. Cedars of Lebanon. Now, I got a, um, this is an incense cedar, which we have quite a bit in our region and in these mountains and also in the Sierras. And so I'm going to tell you about the cedars of Lebanon, and we'll get some of those facts in our minds, and then that will help us um, springboard into the scriptures about cedars. There's 103 scriptures about these cedars in the Bible, 103, so... I think it's worthy of studying um, and seeing what God has to say to us about cedars. So cedars, the ones we're looking at, so this is our version, and actually, if I was to talk about the cedars, I'm going to talk about the cedars of Lebanon, but you know, there's lots to be said for us. I already preached about the redwoods, but the redwoods that we have here, coast redwoods, are only grown in this little area where there's a kind of a convergence of the mountains and the sea. Santa Cruz is that, right? We've got mountains and we've got the ocean. They come together. And the redwoods grow in this little strip of land. And the cedars of Lebanon, same kind of thing. They have a real specific habitat where they grow. And it's where the mountains and, the, in this case, the Mediterranean Sea come together. It's a big tree, about 140 feet tall at its biggest, 8-foot diameter. They can grow really old, like you know, over 1,000 years old. One was, I think, a couple thousand years old. They grow collectively in giant forests. Okay, so it's not just an isolated tree. They're grown in a big forest that's really um, commanding of respect and beauty. But the thing that's best about the cedar, what they're known for is, yes, they're beautiful and they look great, is their wood. 
for making furniture, for making, you know, it's, it's lined palaces, things like that. And the wood, it's very strong, very sturdy. It's very durable wood. In fact, it um, doesn't have many knots in it. And it, since it's such a big tree, they can, they can harvest large timbers. So um, this wood, you know, in some ways you could say this is the best wood on the planet for, for building things. Um, and it smells good. You had to come up and just even smell this branch. You're like, oh, it smells so good. It smells good. It's bug resistant and rot resistant. So it lasts a really long time. I came across um, one thing, and I can't remember the actual number. It was, it was these doors in, a, I think, a cathedral in Rome or something. And these dorms are like, uh, these two giant doors were 800 years old or something like that. And the, the author said, they're just getting broken in. <laughs> they're not falling apart or anything. They just look perfect, and they're super, super old. That's um, the qualities of this wood. It just lasts good. The grain is beautiful, um, very, very strong. So it's, it's kind of like the best wood you can get for, for building things like that. Um, it's an evergreen. It's got cones on it, so it's a conifer. It kind of starts slow. It doesn't grow real well, and it's uh, susceptible to disease and, and not making it in the first few years of its life. And it doesn't really reproduce until it gets to be about 40 years old. That's when it starts having uh, cones. That, that's how, you know, cone gets pollinated, drops the seeds. It doesn't happen until it's about 40. And it grows really fast between the ages of about, you know, 20 till about 70. And then at 70, it really slows down. Can anybody say amen to that? <laughs> and then, uh, but then it just lives for hundreds of years after that. Uh, it starts as a kind of a cone, like most kind of pine trees or conifers, and then as it gets really old, it starts to send secondary branches out, and it gets kind of like a flatter, m not square-looking, but kind of a canopy-looking tree when they're really old. That's what the forest would look like. The history of the tree, this tree, you could say, in a sense, is responsible for the Phoenicians who were known for what? For having a navy. They built big boats, not just a little raft, but a big, sturdy boat. You have to have wood that will be able to handle the water that won't break, that won't rot. And um, so they built these big boats, and they were merchants and went all over the place, you know, first in the Mediterranean Sea, and, and, and that which is huge. And that's, that's kind of the forerunners for us even understanding the rest of the world is being able to travel, is they started with making boats from these cedars. Um, this wood was very sought after to make, like I already said, temples, buildings. Um, even the Egyptians went all the way up there to Lebanon to make um, their tombs, their sarcophagus, what they put the body in, because you don't want to put a body in a pine casket that's going to rot in a, you know, 100 years. These things would just last for a really long time. So they wanted that kind of wood. And therefore, the, um, this tree, history books will say, is really responsible for a lot of the uh, trade routes back in the days, because it's like, this is a place you wanted to go to get this valuable wood. And so not only trade routes, but relationships were formed as a result of these countries, nations wanted this wood, and so they would trade for it. In fact, one of the passages I'll read about how Solomon got this wood. And so these trees facilitated relationships between great nations. And the last little fun tidbit is, I think maybe about 15 years ago, it's one of the greatest archaeological finds. They found what's called, you can look this up, the Jesus boat. Have you heard about this? It's a boat that's about the size of a fishing boat that the disciples would have been in with Jesus fishing. They actually, in the Sea of Galilee, pulled up from underwater a boat that's about the same size and shape. They, this is probably the kind of, kind of boat that, you know, Jesus didn't need a boat. He just walked on the water, right? But they, he did eventually get in this boat. But here's what's cool about the boat. 
So they've looked it up and studied it. It's not only is it cedar, right? I'm preaching about that's why I'd mentioned this boat. It was reclaimed cedar. It was used for something else, like doors or something. And then they said, let's make a boat out of this one. The wood was that good. They would repurpose it, and it was still good. And then they find it a couple thousand years later, still in the shape and form of a boat. It couldn't have been that good a boat. It sunk. <laughs> but it lasted. Uh, and then cedar. This, this happened to me a couple weeks ago. I'm, I was building these um, benches for a kitchen table with my daughter for her house, and we wanted to get some cool wood, and, and they, this, the guy said, oh, you know, there's some of this cedar over there in the corner. And I said, wow, that cedar looks great. It's the right shape that we want. And then I asked how much it was. Super expensive. And here's the worst part. It was heavily damaged, and it was by far the most expensive wood in there. And I'm like, are you kidding me? It wasn't even the right width, and it was all jagged on the side. I'm like, he's like, cedar, what do you expect? You know, I'm like, I'm not buying it. <laughs> so we didn't get the cedar wood, but it's still expensive and valuable today. So that's cedar wood, and, and here's a picture of what it looks like. I would encourage you to come up and smell this branch. Um, I, I won't tell you where I got that. It was a, it was a reconnaissance mission. I happen to know a place. They'll, their tree's a little smaller now. But you need a, a tree to look at. It was a place I used to live. I don't live there anymore. Stop talking, Danny. Okay, our first passage. There's 103. We'll look at four of them today. So uh, if you want to, in your pew Bibles, page 360, I'm just going to read the story. It's 12 verses, and it's in 1 Kings chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. And it's not the first place cedars are mentioned, but it's one of the most important places. Page 360. Now Hiram, king of Tyre, sent his servants to Solomon when he heard, so this is a nearby king, he heard um, that they had anointed him king, so Solomon just became king in place of his father, for Hiram always loved David. And Solomon sent word to Hiram, you know that David, my father, could not build a house for the name of the Lord his God because of the warfare with which his enemies surrounded him. So basically David was busy fighting so much that then he's going to, now that there's peace, it's time to build a house for God in which his enemies surrounded him until the Lord put them under the soles of his feet. But now the Lord, my God, has given me rest on every side. There's neither adversary nor misfortune. And so I intend to build a house for the name of the Lord, my God, as the Lord said to David, my father, your son, whom I will set on your throne in your place, shall build the house for my name. Now therefore command that cedars of Lebanon be cut for me, and my servants will join your servants, and I will pay you for your services such wages as you set for you know that there is no one among us who knows how to cut timber like the Sidonians. So these trees are in their backyard and they know how to harvest them. As soon as Hiram heard the words of Solomon, he rejoiced greatly. He said, Blessed be the Lord this day who has given to David a wise son to be over his great people. And Hiram sent to Solomon saying, I've heard the message that you have sent me. I'm ready to do all that you desire in the matter of cedar and cypress timber. My servants shall bring it down to the sea from Lebanon, and I will make it into rafts to go by sea to the place you direct. And I will, get, I will have them broken up there, and you shall receive it. And you shall meet my wishes by providing food for my household. So Hiram supplied Solomon with all the timber of cedar and cypress that he desired. And while Solomon gave him 20,000 cores of wheat as food for his household and 20,000 cores of beaten oil, Solomon gave this to Hiram year by year, and the Lord gave Solomon wisdom 
as he promised him. And there was peace between Hiram and Solomon, and the two of them made a treaty. Then it goes on to say, King Solomon drafted 30,000 men. There, there's a lot of lumber here. Can you imagine this? Cutting it down, getting it to the sea, floating it down the sea, you know, down the coast, beaching it, taking it apart, and then Jerusalem's, it's like 3,000 feet. So they got, I don't know how they carried this timber, but they had to get it all up there. It took 30,000 people to do it. So big, big deal. And what we're seeing in this passage is that there was a business and a political relationship. There was peace between this king and with David, and then his son became king, and you, know, you never know how things are going to work out. And, and Solomon says, we want the best for the Most High God. And so he paid him, he paid him wealth, you know, handsomely for this wood, and it was a good deal for everybody. Everyone's working together and to build because the temple was the place that God resided with his people. And the little, little nugget of truth in there for us is you are now God's temple. God resides in your heart as you invite him in. And we want only the best for the most high God. We want to reflect excellence for God. Then we turn to Psalm 92. Next passage I want us to look at. That's on the cedars of Lebanon. And uh, page 632. And I'll read the last uh, four verses of this chapter. The righteous flourish like the palm tree. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That's next week. Palm Sunday. It's going to be great. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They're planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He's my rock and there's no unrighteousness in him. So God's chosen the um, cedar of Lebanon to give us a picture to say, this is what it looks like for someone trusting in God. They're a righteous one. A God-following person is flourishing. And then if you notice there, there's a little sentence that says, they're planted in the house of the Lord. Something planted in the house of the Lord is not a visitor. It's an ongoing residence. One of the questions that we asked in this sermon series was when we talked about redwoods in a and we talk about creosote bushes, the question was, where are you planted? Where are you planted? In the house of the Lord. Are you connected to God? So the question again comes to us, where are you planted? Are you regularly drinking? Are you regularly worshiping God? And then it talks about bearing fruit even in our old age. And here at High Street, we have a number of fruit-bearing seniors. You know that? And I just wanted to pause and say, you older folks, you are full of sap. <laughs> Kids go up to an old folks and just give them a hug and say, you're full of sap. I give you permission. That means there's life. That means there's fruitfulness. You're not just in your older years, you know, retiring and not doing nothing. Many of you are pursuing the Lord, saying, God, I want your best. You're still producing fruit. That's a beautiful tree still producing fruit. That's going on here. That's what's being described in Scripture. Those that have said, you know, God, I'm not perfect, but I trust you. You're a righteous, fruiting tree. We'll go to Isaiah. This helps balance out this tree a little bit because this tree is looking awesome. Isaiah chapter 2. It's on page 722, and I'll read a couple verses there. Because God uses the picture, the image, the actual um, cedar of Lebanon for something to help us, to warn us. And, and 
It says in verse 11, chapter 2, The haughty looks of a man shall be brought low. The lofty pride of men shall be humbled. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. For the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up, it shall be brought low. Against all the cedars of Lebanon, lofty and lifted up. So you, you look at that passage a little bit, there's something we need to consider. God alone should be worshipped. Even the great, beautiful things he created, we're not to worship. We're not to put our trust in a cedar tree, right? We don't put our trust in the creation. We don't worship the creation. We worship the creator. It's a mistake we all make. And Scripture's saying, God's saying, if you put anything above me, even a beautiful, high, lofty cedar, I'll cut it down. It's the most loving thing God can do is prune something out of your life if it's taking his place. If your energy or your worship is going towards, man, that's amazing. It is amazing. No, God, you're amazing for creating something so beautiful and so worthwhile, right? We make that subtle mistake. And Scripture's pointing out that even cedar trees that God loves and, and grew, he'll say, if they're getting in the way of me, they need to be cut down. Now, one thing I didn't talk about when I described the cedars, and this is a bit serious, both for the cedar, but both also for our message, is that cedars, currently the cedars of Lebanon, they're scarce. They are, in fact, if you could show one of those pictures, have you shown any of them yet? Yeah, show me a picture, the first picture of the cedar, that one. Oh, no, the one before. Now that one. Okay, that's a beautiful, healthy-looking cedar tree. It's awesome, right? But what looks weird about that picture is the background. It's not in a forest, right? And something I didn't tell you about these cedars is that they're, they're a threatened species. You see, the early people that talked about the, you know, the scripture that said, hey, they're gifted at cutting these trees down, um, historians tell us that when they would cut them down, they'd replant and so the forest was managed properly. They had forests for generations and generations. And then conquerors over these thousands of years have come in and just ruined the land. They took all the trees. There's hardly any left. In fact, there's only a few really healthy, sustainable groves right now. So something sad about the cedars of Lebanon is they look like this. They've got sites where they've you know, still got a few groves and they're, they're trying to replant them. But, but it's, I told you, it's a difficult tree early on to get to go back to health. Like when we cut down all our redwood trees, they still spring up from the roots and we have a, not as healthy, but we still have a forest. Not in the case of these. In fact, what's happened is where they've, now this is a, a pretty big area. They've cut down so many of these cedars that the soil was washed away and eroded. So you can't even get the forest back like it was. It would just take so long, right? It's a moonscape. That kind of looks like the moon, right? It's not just because it's super high altitude. That's what it looks like. They've lost so much of the soil because of erosion because people were greedy and cut down all the trees and didn't replant them. Early inhabitants did a good job, but the outside conquerors just devastated the area. That brings us to the passage that was read this morning on Isaiah 35. I don't know if you caught it, but there's a reference to Lebanon in Isaiah 35 that Mark and Sharon read to us. So I'm going to walk us through that passage because it's one of the 103 passages on uh, cedars. 
You see, the, um, in Psalm 35, this is about God restoring, right, a forest to a moonscape. That's what God's in the business of. We're going to struggle trying to do that. I'm not sure we could pull it off. What are you going to put in all this dirt over hundreds of square miles? But God can restore a forest to a place. Have you ever been to the gold country and seen where they take those, um, you know, a long time ago they had, it was like with water, they blasted the hillside and it got rid of all the dirt just to get the gold and now all there's just huge areas of rocks. Has anybody ever seen that? Nothing's growing back there, is it? It's just devastated. It's just a pile of rocks. That's what's happened here with the cedars is that it's just devastated. No soil, so nothing can grow there. So chapter 34 in Isaiah is God talking and saying, all these nations that are depending on themselves, that don't trust in me, they're going to just be devastated. And, and in, the, in this case, in chapter 35, the Israelites were hauled off as a country to, to Babylon, and they were um, captives, and God is saying, you can't see it. You, you feel like your life is a desert, but I'm going to restore you. That's what's going on here. He's talking about how they'll return, how God's going to restore their life, which is a desert, into an oasis. Yay, oasis! We love praying for you guys. That's what God's business is. He's into the business of restoration, reforestation. All right, so now when we look at chapter 35 of Isaiah, listen to what God's saying here. All these other nations don't trust in him. They trust in their own strength, and they're going to be judged. And then he says, those of you that trust me, the exiled ones, you can be restored by God. The question I'd have, and this is where I want us to get personal, we prayed and Sharon asked us, think about those areas that are dry. Think about the people that are dry. What do you do when you find that your once wonderful garden of a life or your your world was a forest. There's peace, there's thriving, there's flourishing. What do you do when you find that either by your own hand or somebody else has just taken it, cut it all down, and it's eroded to the point that you say, I can't ever see that coming back. I can't ever see myself being happy again. I can't, I can't imagine what thriving would look like. I just don't see it. What do you do with that? Where do you go in your life? What, we've all got these areas of devastation in our life whether it's a relationship, whether it's a personal issue we've gone on, whether it's our own life, we just feel like there's no life. I don't get it. There's, I'm just, what's the point? Well, God tells us, here's how it works. And it's in, it's in this Isaiah 35. And it's this. Trust God again. Because Jesus' living water Catch this, and, and this has already been mentioned. I love this. Jesus' living water will restore. Have you seen any of the pictures of Southern California when we got all those spring rains? What happened? They called it a super bloom. Crazy amounts of flowers. It's just flowers upon flowers upon flowers. Beautiful. None of that's there apart from the water. The reason it's there, the seeds were there, but God watered it. He literally watered it, and there was a super bloom. That's a picture. We look at general revelation. We look at creation. We say, oh, and God's saying, that's the kind of thing that I will do in your life. That's the kind of thing I'll do in your church. That's the kind of thing I'll do in your city, in your world. I alone can restore, and you need to resolutely, like, grit your teeth in a good way and trust God. Say, God, you're going to come through. It's all about you. So Isaiah says, you want to see God work? And you want to see him do amazing things of restoration, forest where it was a moonscape, gardens where there was a desert? Trust, trust God. 
That's kind of a theoretical thing. Okay, trust God. What does that practically look like? And this is the part that Sharon read about a highway. Verse 8 says, And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. So we walk with the Lord in a holy highway. Somebody please interpret that. What does that mean? (laughs) Three words pop out. Walk. Tons and tons of scripture talk about walking with the Lord. What does that say? When you walk with the Lord, you're not in a hurry, right? How many of us, myself included, I live life a little bit in a hurry, a lot of it in a hurry, like just a few minutes late, always trying to catch up. I have the hardest time hearing God when I'm in a hurry. Can I get an amen? amen. Right? God doesn't call us to live this hurried life. And if you can't hear God, you probably should slow down. We don't go on a run with God. We don't get in a car and drive super fast. We walk with God. Okay? So it feels slow, feels like we're not getting anywhere, but when you walk with God, number one, you are making progress. We all want to make progress. And believe me, there's a time to just sit with God, maybe even go backwards. But the general description of a relationship with God is walking with God. Walk with God. So as you walk, you can converse, you can see things, you can listen, you can hear Him, you can talk to Him. A walk with God is a beautiful picture of what we're called to. But it's not just a walk, it's a walk on a holy, that's the second word. So walk, it's on a holy highway. When I hear the word holy, I'm like, that's not me. Not only is it not me, I can't do that. Good, right, that's true. But he can. We are holy because Jesus is holy. All you have to do is say, God, clean me. Jesus' sacrificial death cleans us. So you can be holy because God looks at you by looking at Jesus, So you can be holy. Not only positionally holy, you can be ongoing holy. So part of holiness is a regular repentance, a regular confession of like, okay, I messed up here. I get tired of confessing, but I get more tired of not confessing. So just regularly say, okay, I missed the mark again. And he's faithful, means he'll do it every time. And he's just, means it's fair. Doesn't feel fair to me, but he's fair to forgive you. So you're walking with Jesus, regularly confessing. That way you're holy. And it's on a highway. What in the world? They're talking about highways. They didn't even have cars back then, right? But they did spend time building roads because they had carts and horses or walking. And I would rather, one of the, um, one of the um, commentators in a, in a theology book said a highway, think of it this way. I grew up in Ukiah. It's a town a couple hours north of San Francisco. And it used to be that the um, road would go through all the little towns So say you wanted to go from San Francisco to Oregon on Highway 101, before it was really that, you'd go, you'd drive on the road for a while along the river, then you'd come to the town, you have to go through through the town. Like all the stop signs, all the traffic, and then you'd finally get back up to speed. And what would take you, you know, nowadays takes two hours, would take about five or six hours, because you're going through every little town, right? And a highway says, you know what, we're not even going to go through the town, we're going to go around it. In fact, we found a flatter, better way. We'll actually, the modern highways, they carve whole mountains out of the way to make a straight route, right? So you can get there faster without impediment. Now there's something to be said about taking a country drive and going there slow, but, but we're talking about walking with God, getting to our destination, and Isaiah is saying here, there's a highway, meaning he's gotten rid of, God gets rid of all these barriers. It says there's no lions. I don't want any lions, <laughs> right? And the, you know, straightening the hills, flattening the curves, or, or one of the, the other passages in, in uh, Isaiah that talks about highways is making a path. So wrapping that up, God's way is a resolute trust in him as we walk together. 
and we're talking about spiritual restoration. The devastation in our life is not just, I'm physically uncomfortable, I have these problems. God wants to attend to those. But the main thing God wants to and needs to attend to, your main need, is to have a spiritual relationship with him where things are good between you and God. It's as simple as I can say it. We had a good relationship with God in the Garden of Eden, and we broke it by sinning. And Jesus has restored that, say, I want you back in relationship with me, where there's an ease, there's a walking, a walking with a friend in the forest. That's what they were doing in the garden. They were walking with God. That's what God's offering. So if this is helpful, pull out your notes, and I want to walk through those five things that we've learned this morning. And then I have one last little word of encouragement slash assignment for us to do. First question, what type of tree is this? It's a cedar of Lebanon. Very valuable, very strong, um, yet it's in crisis. It's endangered. It's vulnerable. I can identify with that tree, cedar of Lebanon. What scriptures has this tree? Well, I told you 103, and I'm not going to read all of those off. But the ones we looked at this morning are 1 Kings chapter 5, if you want to go back and read that. Psalm 92, that's where you get the line full of sap. Isaiah 2, which warns us from getting too proud or trusting in God's creation instead of the creator. And then the last passage is Isaiah 35, which reads really well with Isaiah 34. It's a contrast. The root biblical truth. What root biblical truth? One, you just got to know that we're valuable to God. God values us as his, as his creation, as his people made in his image. Uh, another biblical truth is beware of pride. It's just a mistake that we make. And then the last one we touched on was that God restores. God restores. The fourth point in there, the core truth that you learned, that's for you to write down. I'll give you a sample one, one that I learned, but, but as you're thinking this, like, what have I, what has the Lord put on my heart that I'm learning this morning? Write that down for you, because especially if you write things down, I don't know about you, but I forget this stuff by Monday sometimes, but if I write it down and look back at it, God can reconfirm what he's teaching. Core truth I learned is that God restores forests as we resolutely trust him and walk in him. It's hard to do. But he enables us to do it. Trust God. Say, God, I'm going to trust you even though everything looks bleak. Even though my forest looks like that, I trust that you can restore that and make it so many trees I can't even see the rocks anymore. Then the last question, which is a good one to leave on, is what fruit can you bear? A restored forest not only blesses that tree, the tree will live healthier, but it blesses everybody else. Birds live there, animals live there. All kinds of things are restored or blessed. And as we walk with and trust the Lord, not only as a church are we restored and blessed, but we get to bless our community. Let me give you a challenge. Um, go for a walk this week in the forest. Go for a walk. And as you're walking, don't hurry. Go slow. And as you're walking, talk with the Lord. And, and we pray that God would reveal what dry areas, what desert areas, what broken places need to be restored. Talk with God about those things. When I do that, I just feel so much better because it's 
like was mentioned, it's important that we know that God knows. Now, God knows, but when we tell him, we know God knows. It's probably more for us, right? So walk with the Lord in the forest. Listen. Tell him what needs restoring. Confess the broken parts. It can be embarrassing, not really before God, before yourself to admit some of the things we've done and think and, and are part of, but he's faithful and just to forgive us. Take a walk, tell him what's hurting, tell him where you've messed up, and then do this. Is there anybody from Turkey in here? Yeah. Turkey is planting, let me get this right, 50 million cedars a year. How awesome is that? They're taking part, and, and um, Lebanon is doing, they've got, they've cordoned off areas, and they said, we want this to be a natural comeback. So they plant, but they more are trying to, have, they have these parks, kind of like we have a state park, where that's where these pictures are, like this picture, it's, I think it's called the Grove of God or something up in Lebanon, and it's looking better. It's going to take a long time. But these countries have taken this serious, just in the last 15 years, say, we want to be part of the restoration. Now they're just restoring a tree, which I think is awesome. But as I'm saying, go for a prayer walk, get yourself healthy, can't help other people as we're wounded, not as easily. God can do anything, but get yourself healthy. Talk with God, say, this area needs restoration. Say, this area, I'm missing it. And then don't just stop with yourself, pray for other people. If Turkey's gonna go to the trouble of planting 50 million trees a year, couldn't we go to the to trouble to see how we could be used and help in restoration of other people? So just ask God, hey, how can I help someone be restored? What can I do to help bring this health back? Because that's a beautiful tree. And, and the fact is, whether it's in people's lives, damage has been done and restoration is in need. Let's pray. God, redeem us. Many of us have sensed and experienced that redemption. We all have some level of pain. We all have some level of desolation in our lives. Some of us, a ton of it that we can't imagine ever getting out of it. But it's a lie if we think that our problems are bigger than you. It's a straight lie. You are so big, you're so powerful. That word majesty Joe was pointing us to. It's nothing for you to turn a desert into an oasis. So as your children, we come to you and ask for that. We trust you. We, we, we want to resolutely trust you. We confess we don't do that. Would you empower us and gently help us to trust you with our whole hearts? And may we be a blessing to others. There's a lot of devastation as you look around. And we can't fix it. But you can. And so that's our request. Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the High Street Community Church weekly message. We hope you were encouraged to follow Jesus. For more, please subscribe to our podcast or visit us online at hscchurch.org.